Welcome to Taking Control of Your Financial Life podcast, providing the simple answers to the complex questions asked about your financial future. Let's get you the answers you need about retirement, investing, asset planning, and the current market. Here's your host, Julian Rubenstein. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Taking Control of Your Financial Life. My name is Julian Rubenstein, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm also the president of American Asset Management, a registered investment advisor located in Boca Raton, Florida. I'm very excited about today's show, as we're fortunate to have Jeff Wasserman of counsel to Shapiro, Blasey, Wasserman, and Herman. Did I get that right, Jeff? Well, it's Blasey, but that's Blasey. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I want to thank you for joining us today, Jeff, and I'm really excited about today's show because I think we're going to bring a different angle to a very uh, important but touchy subject. So with that said, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Ah, oh. <laughs> well, been practicing for over 50 years now, member of the Florida Bar. I'm only uh, practicing in the state of Florida. My primary practice is in family, although for the major part of the 50 years, I was a trial lawyer, uh, not just in family law. There were some years I would have more jury trials than bench trials in the family courts. And I woke up a little before COVID hit and I started to dabble in collaborative law. And I realized at that point how much better it is for the parties, the participants in a divorce than litigation. It's a great alternative to the dispute resolution. It also happens to be excellent in connection with negotiating prenups, postnups, and cohabitation agreements. And of course, you're going to want to know what collaborative law is, and I'll let you ask the questions. But, you know, I, I'm a veteran of the Vietnam War. Fortunately, I serve stateside, so I don't have either the physical or the emotional injuries that uh, our troops received when they went overseas. Uh, so I've been very fortunate in that regard. Graduated the University of Miami, both undergrad and law school. I'm a proud cane. And uh, up until uh, COVID, I was an avid season ticket holder. But uh, I guess I'm over that uh, in my life now, but I still watch them on, on TV. So I'm uh, no a supporter. Once a cane, always a cane, as they say. Uh, my oldest is a graduate of, of Miami. Okay. So you know what it's like. Absolutely. <laughs> of course, I have to deal with my brother who's a gator but uh that could be difficult we don't uh, play each other often enough where it becomes a, a problem <laughs> okay so uh, yeah why don't you uh, tell the listeners about collaborative law i mean i know what that is but you know explain some of the difference between a normal divorce and collaborative okay well most people throughout the years they would come to a divorce lawyer who would basically say when do you want to file and I did that for many, many years. Then, lo and behold, in the 80s, mediation came into town and everybody was against mediation. The lawyers felt that it was going to interfere with their practice. And the judges initially felt that it was going to be an interference with their ability to decide cases. And apparently a judge in the middle of the night had an epiphany and said, oh, my God. 
why should we be upset about somebody else settling the case? For instance, the two spouses. <laughs> we can get it off our calendars. And suddenly uh, mediation became the flavor of uh, family law. Collaborative law has been around for many years, but it wasn't until 2017 that the Florida legislature and the Supreme Court passed statutes and a rule enacting what is referred to as the Uniform Collaborative Law Act or the UCLA. It's enacted in, I believe, 19 states at this point in time in one form or another. And collaborative law is there are two conditions to collaborative law. Uh, one is that both parties must be represented by counsel. And the other condition is that there needs to be a participation agreement, which is signed by the parties and their lawyers, okay, pledging not to go to court. There is a disqualification provision for the lawyers, which I initially, until I was trained, thought was a negative to the process. I find now that it's really a positive because it requires everybody in the process to be totally committed to settling their case without resorting to the courts in order to do so. There's no threat of wait until we get in front of the judge. There's no threat. Well, we'll terminate the collaborative process and we'll go to court is it's a team or it can be a team. And the other components of the team, which are voluntary, one is the mental health professional and the other is the financial professional. Lawyers are not trained to deal with children's issues. We're trained to win. That's what we go to law school for. We are hired to win. And my mentor used to say, you're only as good as your last performance, which to me meant if you lost and going to court, there are winners and losers. If you lost, then you need to get back on the horse and, and win again before you're a winner. But the mental health professionals are schooled in dealing with children's issues. They're schooled in dealing with the emotional issues of parenting and of parties dealing with each other uh, as parents and co-parenting the children. And the collaborative process stands for keeping the family together uh, without keeping the parties together necessarily. Parties can get divorced, but there's no reason for a family to get divorced where somebody is not invited to the life events of the children. Life events such as bar and bat mitzvahs, christenings, births, uh, birthday parties, uh, you know, for children and then grandchildren. Uh, graduations, any life events, you don't want to be in a situation where one of the or the children don't want to have a situation where one of the parents is either disinvited or refuses to come because the other parent is going to be there. It's tragic for the children. So we have a mental health professional who can help the parties get a better understanding of that and a firmer grip on let's get this resolved for the benefit of the children. Forget us. Because one of the things that we start a team meeting on is what are the goals and interests? And 
um, I would say almost all of the time, if there are minor children, is to not harm the children. I mean, these are our most valuable possessions, assets that anybody can have. And now we have somebody who's qualified to deal with those issues as part of a team. The financial professional, instead of the financial part, does the mental part also go come into play if the children are adults? Yes, there are what are known as gray divorces and the effects on the adult children can be just as devastating, if not more devastating. I've seen it where children wind up taking sides between the two parents and it's just horrible. It's ugly, no matter if the children are minors uh, or adults. And the difference between the minors and the, and the adult children is at least with minor children, you have some say in you know, how they're being raised. Once they're adults, they're out of the house, they're gonna do their own thing and they're gonna make up their minds on what to do. And their minds may be made up to side with mom or side with dad if it's an ugly divorce. And it's a shame because uh, those children, if they don't already have grand, you know, their children where there are grandchildren involved, uh, are someday hopefully are gonna have grandchildren. And, you know, uh, we as parents, my wife, <laughs> my wife has an expression, grandchildren are the reason we didn't kill our kids grow <laughs> while they were growing up. I've heard that one a lot, yes. <laughs> I mean, they are the best thing since Rice Krispies or sliced bread. <laughs> I mean, grandchildren are the greatest. I can uh, attest to that. Yes, I agree with that. So, I mean, a situation, it can affect adult children just as easily, if not more so than, than minor children who are growing up. Not so much teenagers who are gonna make up their own mind about everything and already have their own set of friends and really don't care if the parents kill each other. But uh, adult children do uh, have that care and have that concern. So it's tragic what happens when people are like this in a litigation setting. It's tragic for the family. I, unfortunately, I lived in and I agree with you. So why don't we, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. Now you're getting into the financial aspect. Yeah, normally in a litigation case, um, the uh, attorneys and the clients hire their individual forensic accountant. In the collaborative process, it's open and full disclosure on a voluntary basis. We hire one financial professional to collect all of the financial documents, process those financial documents, put them into either financial affidavits, equitable distribution charts, just listing the assets, getting the values, things of that nature, and working with both sides to obtain all of the information necessary in order for there to be option building toward a resolution on equitable distribution. There is an acronym in divorce. Believe it or not, it's called PEACE, P-E-A-C-E. <laughs> Very ironic. The P is for parenting. And I have not been involved in a collaborative case where we haven't turned the parenting issues over to the mental health professional. E is for equitable distribution. The financial professional gathers all of the information uh, as to the list of assets and liabilities and the values, okay? And they help in framing 
an equitable distribution between the parties. The next thing is alimony. There may or may not be an alimony need. Uh, but again, the financial professional helps in that regard. The C stands for children's issues beyond the parenting issues. We're dealing with child support. We're dealing with life insurance for the children, health insurance for the children, extracurricular activities for the children, if there are special needs for the children. That's all under the C. And the E is everything else, which in litigation is normally dealing with attorney's fees and costs, which are usually more expensive in a litigation setting than they would be in a collaborative setting. And you said earlier that you have to agree, a member has to agree to collaboration. Does that mean you're, you cannot litigate no matter what happens, even if the, if the negotiations no. break down? The, the professionals can't. The parties, if they want to opt out of the of the process, they can go and, and, you know, beat each other up in court if they want. But the professionals are disqualified from proceeding forward and taking part in any court action. The only court action that we are involved in is to obtain a final judgment of dissolution of marriage where we file the uh, collaborative marital settlement agreement, the CMSA, and the parenting plan, and the child support guideline worksheets, if there are minor children, with the court, and we ask the court to enter a final judgment. Uh, it's uncontested. It's a five-minute uh, hearing in most in most circuits in Florida, it's uh, via Zoom, uh, so we don't have to spend time running to the courthouse. We can sit at our desks and look at the judge and everybody, the spouse gets up and says, I swear to tell the truth, and yes, the marriage is irretrievably broken, and uh, I want the court to adopt the two agreements that we have submitted. Makes it very, very clean and simple. And hopefully the antagonism that may have resulted in the disagreements that caused the divorce to begin with have subsided and the parties are able to focus on the important thing, which is raising their children, dealing with their adult children or grandchildren. Um, now, with, with collaborative work, when you're um, working on a prenup, for example, is there an advantage to, to, oh. to that <laughs> negotiating? Perfect for a prenup, actually. Uh, number one, both sides must be represented by counsel or it's going to be subject to being attacked as possibly being unfair. So you want both sides being represented. So right away, you have the requirement for both attorneys. You enter into a participation agreement. Yes, we agree that we're going to resolve these issues. And of course, with a prenup or a postnup, there's no court at that point. The mental health professional is there to tamp down the emotions that can occur in connection with negotiating a prenuptial agreement. And you need to have full disclosure of all of the finances for a valid prenup. So you have one financial professional gathering all of the information coming up with the charts so that everybody is fully aware of what the other side has or doesn't have. You know, there could be a lot of liabilities uh, that need to be uh, disclosed. So it's almost as if it's ready-made for what we now refer to as life planning agreements, the prenups, postnups, and cohabitation agreements. And there are a lot of cohabitation agreements with the younger population, by the way. They're not so anxious to 
charge into getting married. A lot of them have seen what's happened with their parents who have gotten divorced, and sometimes it's an ugly divorce. And they're not anxious to make that commitment and create an ugly situation. They'd rather be able to just walk away if it becomes necessary. So younger people are uh, not trending, but uh, more more likely to enter into a cohabitation agreement or older people who are not interested in raising a new family or anything may be interested in a cohabitation agreement as well. Now, is a cohabitation agreement, um, so you don't change your last name, you're not legally married? Not legally married. Got it. Now, you know, it's interesting. I would think people should you should see a lawyer before they start deciding they want to get divorced. Don't you think it's good to get a little consultation before you make the move, which most people don't, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, people people don't appreciate what we do as lawyers. Uh, for instance, I would say the majority of people don't have a last will and testament. They haven't made any life planning uh, decisions and they leave it to their kids to fight out uh, what may happen rather than having it all set forth in a will. And you're absolutely correct. You know, having some information about what process can be utilized, which is very, very important to be disclosed at an initial conference with the lawyer so that the client can use informed consent to decide on which process they want to use uh, rather than simply filing. And so there should be some discussion with a a lawyer or even a mental health professional uh, who may be able to steer them in how to determine how best to go forward with the divorce or whether there's a possibility of saving the marriage through counseling. You know, divorce is a last resort or it should be a last resort. It shouldn't be a first resort. People should investigate the possibility of uh, trying to keep the marriage together, not for the sake of the children necessarily, because if it's a bad marriage, people should not be living in the same household. But at least determine what the problems are and is there a way of overcoming the problems? You know, most of us still believe in the until death do us part. Although, frankly, I was divorced previously. God willing, I'll be celebrating 25 years with my second marriage with my wife. And uh, I have no plans on divorcing her. She may shoot me, but that's a different <laughs> issue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What mistake do you find many people, most people make, the number one mistake people make when entering into divorce? They don't have enough information to understand the decisions that are going to have to be made. Again, number one choice of process. Uh, number two, they don't fully understand the law. Uh, they talk to their friends, they talk to their relatives, uh, and everybody has their opinion on, uh, well, you know, the law says this, the law says that. Yeah, true, the law may say these things, and I will also tell anybody who goes to court, you're shooting dice, because uh, the law is not always interpreted the same way by every judge. That's why we have appellate courts, and that's why we have 
affirmances by the appellate court and, and reversals by the appellate court where judges, you know, even though they may have gone off the grid a little bit, the appellate court says we're still going to affirm the decision. Uh, or if they've gone off the, the grid a little too much, the appellate court may slap them down and say, no, we need to reverse this, send it back. So there's no sure thing when you go before a judge. Also, in going before a judge, understand that each judge has give or take 1,500 cases in their docket. You're one case. How much time and effort is that judge going to have in learning about you as an individual and then making a decision that would fit both you and your spouse. Unfortunately, they can't because they're limited to the four corners of the box that they are in under the law as they interpret it. So they can't settle cases. They have to decide cases. And they decide it without knowing who you are, without knowing who your spouse is, and just looking at what they perceive the law to be. And it may not be the best result that you and your spouse are going to wind up with. The collaborative process is based on goals and interests primarily. Yes, it considers the law, but that's not the deciding factor in deciding cases. We build options in trying to come to a resolution so that everybody is satisfied and hopefully some of their interests can be met in a way that is not overburdensome to the other party. And on a give and take situation, both are willing to give and take a little bit so that they can have their interests satisfied and at the same time, not be obnoxious toward the other uh, spouse. And we'll be able to have a relationship with the other spouse after the divorce. They don't have to live together. They don't have to love each other. But if there are children, they at least have to be civil toward each other. You would hope. Right. I guess you've seen enough fighting where it's, it becomes, you know, broken where you can, they can't even be in the same room together. Oh, it can be so ugly. I had a case, surprisingly, many, many years ago where the two parties were killing each other. I mean, it, you know, it, it was tit for tat all the way through the litigation. And I ran into the husband having dinner one night and he says, Jeff, remember me? And the only thought I could think of was, yeah, I remember you. You weren't the nicest client that I have ever represented. And he says, boy, did I make a mistake? And did my wife make a mistake when we were getting a divorce? We were killing each other and we weren't listening to you or the other lawyer. And after we were divorced and we realized what had happened, we suddenly started co-parenting. We're having holidays together. We're celebrating Christmas together, <laughs> celebrating Thanksgiving together. They both got remarried. Everybody is, it's a kumbaya lifestyle almost. <laughs> and he said, you know, can you believe it? And I looked at him. I said, honestly, considering the way you were during the divorce, I'm very happy for you, but it's almost unbelievable. He says, he says to me as well. He says, I should have listened to you when you said, you know, tamp down the emotions. Let's let, let's get this done in, in a 
appropriate manner or fashion. And that's where the mental health professional also comes in. They wear several hats, by the way. They're the facilitator for the team. They make sure that at team meetings, which are scheduled based on the calendar of everybody being able to meet and how quickly the clients are able to provide the documentation and necessary work so that we can move forward as a team. And at the team meetings, different from mediation, uh, we all sit at the same table. The spouses actually sit down and they talk to each other and they listen to each other. Now, sometimes we have to, you know, uh, separate them into different rooms if it becomes a little too emotional. Uh, I've had cases where I've had to walk out and give the other spouse uh, some breathing room. And my client and I, you know, went out in the hall and the mental health professional was able to tamp down the emotions of the divorce. It's an emotional time. It's very emotional. But that mental health professional, as a facilitator, is able to tamp down those emotions. They cannot give therapy. That's not permitted. That's not what they're hired to do. If somebody needs therapy, they may recommend it, but they are not permitted to give therapy to anybody in the process. But they take control of the emotions as much as they possibly can. Now, do, do you find most of the fighting is about money or other issues? And I ask that because in, we live in a, you know, an equitable distribution state, so it seems silly that you're fighting over money when it's 50-50. Okay. Fighting is because they hate each other. They suddenly realize they hate each other, okay? It could be about anything. It could be the smallest thing in the world. It could be fighting over a lamp, okay, or a favorite painting on the wall that's not by, you know, a, a classic artist or anything. They will find ways of just picking fights with their spouse because they can't get along anymore. And, and they're just at each other's throats. Uh, and, and this is what divorced couples need to back away from uh, in order to obtain a reasonable result. Now, you know, there are pre-suit negotiations that can take place between the lawyers and the clients. They don't have to go into a collaborative process. They don't have to go into mediation. If you have two reasonable lawyers and the clients are somewhat reasonable, they could possibly resolve things without getting into any kind of a process other than finally uh, filing an uncontested divorce petition. So there are a lot of different processes by which uh, the resolution can be founded. And uh, but if they can't see the forest from the trees, they'll find anything to fight about. Right. I can see that. How do you help your clients take control of their financial life during the divorce? Or do you? <laughs> well, you make suggestions. And in a collaborative process, the financial professional will also make suggestions uh, so that everybody is not getting crazy so that uh, people are not going out and charging up credit cards that they're ultimately going to be responsible for so that people will act more reasonably. When I started practicing, it was almost generic in every divorce that uh, dad would be thrown out of the house and he'd have to get separate living quarters. But of course, when I started practicing, dad was a second class citizen. He couldn't 
he couldn't speak with the pediatrician without mom's consent. Right. He couldn't have a consultation with the teacher without mom's consent. This is what this was 50 years ago, okay, where dads literally were second-class citizens. Well, they're equal parents, okay? <laughs> they shouldn't be second. Nobody should be a second-class uh, person when it comes to their children. Uh, but that was the reality back then. So, you know, the, the, the fact is, is that you get the financial affidavits. You see what's reasonable and necessary. And, you know, the luxuries, you know, depending on whether they're affordable or not, uh, the luxuries make suggestions to, you know, back off a little bit and not uh, go crazy on the luxury items. I represent uh, a lot of very wealthy people. And uh, one of the primary reasons that they use the collaborative process is because of privacy. You're not filing anything in the court during the process. You're not filing your financial affidavits and all other kinds of financial disclosures during the process. Once you file something with the clerk, it's public. And unfortunately, there are a lot of very bad people who are just fishing through court filings to see who they can try to scam. And the wealthiest of, you know, the wealthier people uh, and even a lot of the upper middle class people are understanding that their privacy is extremely important. So because everything is done without court, except at the very end, there are no filings. Oh, that's very interesting. Um, so what, what separates you? What, what do you think is your unique approach that separates you from other collaborative lawyers? I'm all in. <laughs> it's, as simple, it's as simple as that. A lot of collaborative or attorneys who claim they're collaborative attorneys are not all in. Uh, they have financial obligations they have to meet. Uh, they have to support a family. They have to pay for their office. They have to do a lot of things. And rather than lose a client, if they're not going to go collaborative, they'll be very happy to litigate for them. I'm not litigating uh, except for clients who I have represented in the past. And then I try to dissuade them from utilizing the court system if I can. That's basically, I think, what separates me. Uh, I'm also, I'm on the board of directors of the Florida Academy of Collaborative Professionals. Uh, I'm on many committees of FACP and also the International Academy. I'm on three committees for them as well. I also do Hague Convention work, which is uh, parental child abduction. I'm a fellow in the International Academy of Family Lawyers. So I have quite a background. And one of the other things that just happened to work out is when I started practicing, there were no specialties. So I had to learn how to do everything. <laughs> you know, somebody wanted to pay us $25 or $50. We grabbed them and tried to figure out what, how to represent them after they paid us the money. I mean, you know, those were the times back then. Sure. Um, and so as a result, I have an understanding of the different areas of the practice of law. I understand real estate. I am, uh, the firm that I'm with uh, has a title company. I understand labor and employment. Uh, we have a labor and employment division. I did personal injury work. I used to do probate and probate litigation. And probate 
litigation should really be worked as a collaborative uh, measure. And, and people are starting to trend in that direction rather than litigate their uh, mom always liked you better. Well, that's what happens in probate litigation unless you're dealing with a step parent. So that's a shame. Yeah. Well, really, we want to thank you for all the information. Is there anything that we didn't share with the audience that you'd like to? I don't think so, Julian. I mean, um, <laughs> I can give you my uh, email address or you can post it uh, for the people who listen to the uh, the cast. And uh, yeah, but why don't you give them the, your website and email address so that and they can reach out to you? OK, the, the email is initial J Wasserman, W-A-S-S-E-R-M-A-N at S-B-W-H dot law the sbwh is shapiro blazy wasserman and herman all lowercase and the website is www.sbwh.law okay well once again i really enjoyed having you i learned a lot i'm sure the audience did too and we'll see you back here on on the show pretty soon i hope so thank you julian for having me appreciate it thank you for tuning in to taking control of your financial life for more information about today's topics, please visit or check the show notes for more important information and links. Share, rate, and review this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.